everyone, welcome to episode 21 of the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. I'm your host once again, Robbie Burke, and on this episode I interviewed Josh Rubin from East West Healing. Uh, on this episode, me and Josh discuss many topics, including Josh's background, problems Josh sees within the healthcare industry, um, is sugar really a problem with regards to people's health, his thoughts on intermittent fasting, polyunsaturated fatty acids, fish oils, saturated fats and many many other topics throughout the show as with every episode up until now this was a fantastic interview with josh he shared lots of great information and i hope you guys really really enjoyed okay uh, mr josh rubin it's uh, it's absolutely brilliant to have you come back on on the show and um, just for anyone who isn't too familiar with the background just fill us in um i don't know well i like to say it's pretty vast someone who's very passionate about his, his education do, do you think that the key to sort of health and wellness is to have this kind of very holistic background what is, what is your idea like on, on holistic health um, you know I think it's a word that's overused I think most people don't even know what the word means yeah. um, you know especially in the states you go to you know I used to volunteer at a, a cancer center for a long time and they used to call it a, whole, a holistic integrative center and it really wasn't. They just offered yoga and they offered, you know, meditation, you know, classes. And they called it, you know, holistic, you know. Um, so for me, you know, the word holistic, what I think it really means is looking at the whole person. I, you know, I think so many people think that your spiritual, if you wear pants, that yogis wear, if you do yoga, if you meditate, if you color, if you stack rocks, whatever you do, uh, you know, I'm not judging, I'm not saying you're not, but everyone thinks that what you do justifies who you are. Mm. You know, if you're a strength coach, you have to be this big buff guy that can lift a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. You know, so for me, I think every industry should be holistic. And holistic really means, you know, for me, being who you want to be and being who you are. You know, um, I don't look like a spiritual person, but I'm consider myself a spiritual person, you know. Uh, meditating to me is not coloring and things like that, but it might be to other people. You know, meditating to me could be wearing out. Yeah. It could be sitting outside, you know. But holistic means looking at the whole person. So if you're a stress coach, it means assessing your client, looking at the client in front of you, and writing a program to meet you or your client's needs and not just some cookie-cutter program. Yeah. In a nutritional sense, it means not having a cookie-cutter program, 
two people with PMS, but they both have it for different reasons. You have to work with them nutritionally very differently. Just like if you have someone with low back pain or you find someone with um, issues in their sacred iliac joint. They might have pain in sacred iliac joint issues, but one person has oblique access issue and the other person has an embedded sacrum. Mm-hmm. So for me, holistic is looking at the person that's in front of you, looking at all the pieces to their healing puzzle, and setting them up appropriately to help that person reach their goal. So it's kind of like treat the person, not the disease and dysfunction. Right. Yeah. Josh, I know, as you said, you're you're very um, you're very influenced by the work of Ray Pete, and 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 you know I've I've we've, I've talked about this with you before. Just this kind of sort of this current sort of um, demonization of sugar, and sugar is is the cause of everything. And you have like things like uh, Robert Lu- Robert Lustig's things with fructose. I know that you're actually a big proponent of using sugar therapeutically to drive metabolism. Do you just want to touch on that? Yeah. Ray's works now for a long time. Mm. You know, we started doing radio shows in a couple of years ago, and of course, you know, I feel like what we did really brought him to the forefront. There's a lot of what other people did that, um, you know, brought him to the forefront. But, you know, I talked to people from doing his shows, I met a lot of people that used to work with him directly in the 70s. You know, so we've been around for a long time, and, and of course, it's not new information. Mm. Um, and the reason I like him is because he doesn't have a diet. He doesn't promote a diet. He has a philosophy based on human physiology. Mm-hmm. And to me, that makes sense. Everyone has a diet based on, oh, if you have a gut problem, do this diet, you know, the gas diet. If you have ADHD, do this diet. If you have a lot of immune disease, do this diet. And that segmentalizes the body. But it teaches people to focus on dysfunction instead of understanding function. Mm-hmm. And you can't treat dysfunction if you don't understand function. So I like his work because it teaches us the physiology of the body and the physiologies of foods from a positive standpoint, but also from, okay, we have these healthy foods that everyone says are healthy. Let's do the research on why they're healthy. Let's also do the research on the possible implications of why they're not. Just like we do with soy, but no one's doing it with unsaturated fat. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason I like his work because he really looks at the human and he looks at human physiology from a functional standpoint. Now, when it comes to sugar, that's another reason I like him. And when we say sugar, I'm talking about carbohydrates. I'm not just sitting here saying, you know, eat white sugar. I'm talking about eating the right types of digestible tropical fruits and root vegetables. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the reason I like it is, you know, people hear the word sugar and they freak out. And most people don't understand the why behind what they're hearing and believing. And that's a problem, because you're walking around with your brain on a leash. So if you really understood human physiology, if you understood cell energy metabolism, what the mitochondria do, what your body uses to produce thyroid hormone, what your body uses does to use thyroid hormone to produce CO2 ATP, which is energy at the cell level, which is very protective to the body, you would understand that sugar is a huge part of that carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. So we're not saying here, you know, just eat fruits or, you know, eat tons of sugar, we're saying eat the right types of carbohydrates in relation to non-inflammatory proteins and fat to meet the needs of your body, but also to meet the needs of the cells in your body, which are all your tissues, because your liver is not only dependent on selenium, but you these deodinase enzymes that are dependent on um, glucose um, to produce energy in your cells, along with T3, use glucose to actually produce energy, which is CO2. And CO2 is very protective to the body. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an antioxidant. It allows oxygen to get to our tissues. Um, it allows for that optimal use of oxygen at the mitochondrial level. Um, you know, so it's, it's really important. And if you study the work of Philip Young, he was a doctor, actually I have the quote in front of me, um, he says that lack of glucose in the cell is the most important factor in decreasing type 1 deodinase, thus decreasing T3 production, which decreases energy production. So, for me, sucrose from fruits, which will regulate blood sugar because fructose inhibits inflamed by glucose, and in an inflammatory state, we have a high time using glucose, but it's been shown that fructose can bypass this fatty acid inhibition and get in the cell and upregulate energy production. We actually can upregulate not only T3 production, we actually upregulate energy production, which is CO2 production, which is an antioxidant, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And it allows ourselves to produce, you know, or use oxygen if 
you thought everything else, the most common threat is people are tired. Yeah. People are tired because they say carbs make you fat, they cut our carbs, they're on the paleo diet, they're on these high protein, low carb diets, everyone's eating kale and lettuce and all these vegetables that are high in cellulose, non-digestible, and very low in sugars, which is not going to regulate energy metabolism. That's why they're tired. You know, so for me, if we understand function, we can understand dysfunction. And if we understand function, what we read and hear will make sense to us. And we can say, that makes sense, or, you know, there's really, this, what this person's saying makes no sense, because we look at biochemistry at the level, what this person is saying actually makes no sense at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, yeah, I'm a proponent of eating the right types of carbs in relation to proteins and fats. Mm-hmm. When... What is your view then on very, very high fat, saturated fat diets, like ketogenic type diets, when, when someone adapts to using ketones and fatty acids? Yeah. Well, it's just like a diet that's heavy in carbs. You know, I don't promote a heavy carb diet. Ray P doesn't promote a carb dominant diet. You know, it's getting the right types and ratios for carbs, proteins, and fat. Too much of anything is not a good thing. Yeah. So if you're taking too many carbohydrates, of course, that can be of metabolic burden. You're taking too many proteins, well, you're taking not enough protein, that's a metabolic burden. You're taking too much protein, that's a metabolic burden yeah. in relation to carbs. You know, it, it's a huge burden in the liver. Uh, if you're taking too much fat, for me, the ketogenic diet is a huge burden, not only in the gut, um, because when we take in fat, we release, we release, you know, hormones, one of them, PCK, and I find that a lot of people, when they're taking too much fat, and you release a lot of CCK, they get a lot of nausea, sometimes diarrhea, you know, stomach issues, things like that. But like, for me, the ketogenic diet in itself, if we're not talking about procedures and things like that, because people, a lot of people use it for medical purposes, but I'm talking about it from a weight loss perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it's a huge metabolic burden, not only in the liver, in the gut, but also in the kidneys, uh, because of the ketones you're producing. Yeah. Um, so for me, Everyone wants to lose weight at the expense of damaging the metabolism. And if you use the right types of carbs, proteins, fats, you know, right tropical fruits and roots and, you know, anti-inflammatory proteins like broth, gelatin, dairy, eggs, shellfish, whitefish, some muscle meats and saturated fats, and you find the right ratio based on body temperature and pulse and you need, you'll actually boost your metabolism, and the end result will be, of course, the regulation of most things over time. And one of them is weight loss, because weight gain is an inflammatory response to being hypometabolic. Yeah. So if we lose weight at the expense of damaging our metabolism, the second we go off this imprisoned diet, we're going to gain weight back because we're not producing energy at the cell level. We've inhibited our thyroid. We've basically cut calories or altered our nutrition just to basically drop weight. But we're really not getting healthy physiologically. So for us, it's about getting healthy physiologically at the cell level to allow the body to heal itself from the inside out instead of the other way around, losing weight and not healing what's going on inside. What do you think of this sort of, um, this this theory that a lot of people have, like T.S. Wiley, um, well, they would claim that it's fact because they've lost so- well, they they've lost science in their writings to back it up. T.S. Wiley, you know, Jack Cruz, who who would be of the idea that we actually are seasonal eaters in in many parts of the world, so that in the summertime we were, we more so ran our body off glucose and at high metabolic rate and higher insulin levels and probably gained a little bit of weight, and then in the winter time we were meant to reverse the weight gain and the kind of uh, the slight insulin resistance we got and we were meant to run our bodies more so off ketones and fatty acids in the winter and again have that kind of cycle effect back around into the summer that we'd, again we'd go back eating more sort of carbohydrates through tropical fruits and tubers and then it got colder in the winter well maybe not tropical fruits but more sort of tubers and so basically their, their thing is this kind of yin yang effect that we were more sort of carb eaters in a warmer environment and then in a cold environment we were more sort of uh, fatty acid ketone burners like and Jack Cruz's thing is that there's two types of biochemistry warm biochemistry and cold adaptive biochemistry so what what would your intake your take be on that um you know for me like I said it just goes back to the functional human mm-hmm. like everyone is studying dysfunction and for me why can't we just go back to studying what the human body is supposed to do mm-hmm. and if you look at once again, yourself. It always comes back to yourself. And for me, that's what I firmly believe because they're in all your tissues. 
and they regulate literally what's going on in your body. And your cells literally are going to produce lactic acid or energy, CO2, ATP, and, and water. Mm-hmm. And it has two, it's basically two decisions. Am I going to be A or B? You know, be pro-metabolic or am I going to be anti-metabolic? And am I, am I going to produce um, lactic acid and be inflammatory? You know, so we have two choices. And from there, that's going to direct everything else, you know. It's been shown by Hanseria, it's been shown by Ray P, it's been shown by Broda Pines, it's been shown by many people. But when you're in hypometabolic state and your cells are not producing CO2 and they're producing lactic acid, digestion is actually downregulated. HCL secretion is downregulated. Um, pancreatic enzymes is downregulated. Absorption is downregulated by over 50%. So your gut problem is being directed by, we could say, a thyroid conversion issue or a cell energy production problem. Same thing with hormone levels, same thing with everything else in the body. So when it comes to the body, you know, it's just, of course, yes, I believe cold weather, warm weather has an effect on metabolism. I do agree. Environment has an effect on metabolism. Mm-hmm. Stress has an effect on metabolism. But when you come down to it, you have metabolism, that's it. And you have to look at the person. So I partly agree with them, partly disagree with them, because it's been shown that in the summer, if you look at, once again, let's go back to the cell, I've written a blog on this, you have an enzyme in your cell called, called cytochrome oxidase. Cytochrome oxidase is light dependent. And what happens is your cells use, or cytochrome oxidase, it's actually copper dependent as well, that's why we recommend a lot of shellfish and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, uh, what was I saying here? Um, Cytochrome oxidase is light dependent, so light stimulates energy metabolism. So we have that benefit for ourselves in the summer. So it's been shown that we actually need, and when I say less, I don't mean low, it's all person dependent. You know, I'm going to make this up right now, but maybe in the winter you find you need 250 or 300 grams of carbs per day, but in the summer maybe you can get by with 200. Of course, exercise and stress by a factor, it might not shift, but it's been shown theoretically, because we have light to our advantage, of course, if you live in a sunny environment, I mean, if you live in, you know, Alaska or, you know, I don't know, maybe Ireland, there's not a lot of sun, you know, <laughs> you, might have to, you might have to use food to your advantage in that case, but light stimulates silicone oxidase enzymes. So in the summer, um, we actually need less carbohydrates or less um, sucrose because we have light for advantage. If we're getting outside, we're actually playing. Mm-hmm. It's been shown in the winter that we actually need um, we actually need more sugars or more carbohydrates in relation to proteins and fat because we actually need to increase energy production because we don't have the light. That's why sometimes in the, in the winters, clients that live in Canada or dark places, I recommend light therapy, using it when the sun goes down, for maybe 30 minutes or 45 minutes on their skin to upregulate mitochondrial energy production. So it's been shown what they're saying is the opposite of what I'm saying, that in the summer, you actually need less carbohydrates, and in the winter, you need more because we don't have light. But I think, you know, I, I think, I think they're, or well, what, what they're getting at is that in the wintertime, these things that may be seen as a negative through maybe Ray's kind of lens or other people's lenses are actually adaptations we made as humans because when it when when food is this is it and this is just what I'm presuming uh, that in the winter time generally food is more scarce and actually in colder temperatures too your your appetite actually suppresses in colder temperatures so that would make sense too uh, and that and that and well, but I mean, if you think about it. They're based on your research of what? I mean, it's 2013, my friend. Yeah, I know, I know, people, yeah. All these people that are talking about food is scarce, excuse my language, but are we freaking caveman still? Yeah, I, I know, know I, no, I, I, I understand that because I know you said that to me before, like, listen, like, you know, it's, it's whatever, blah, 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 like, it's 2013 and we're not living out, but I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I think that's where, where like, particularly Jack Cruz is coming up, but he, he believes the fact that we do live in warm environments during the wintertime and are surrounded by bright lights, well, T.S. Wiley particularly, like bright lights in the wintertime 
when it, when we shouldn't be like their whole thing is that when it's dark outside you shouldn't have you shouldn't be under artificial lights because they believe that it's actually speeding up the aging process and contributing hugely to well, well the, if the difference is this is the difference <clears throat> ultraviolet light is number one it's primary time with unsaturated fats in the skin which creates free radical production yeah. and oxidation at the cell level yeah. and unsaturated fats are basically um, inhibitory to uh, mitochondrial production. Time, you know, so we have to look at it in a, in a bigger sense and say, well, we're doing this research, maybe we're doing it on people that are eating unsaturated fats, which from our standpoint, there's a lot of research to show, you know, wage research, Kongo Williams, um, you know, they've done research and actually have a, a quote funny as well, I pulled up. They found that a very high respiratory rate of animals fed a diet lacking polyunsaturated fats was caused primarily by a great increase in the act- activity of cytochrome oxidase and that adding essential fatty acids strongly inhibits this enzyme. So you could be in light, but eat a lot of unsaturated fats, and you're kept inhibiting this enzyme. Yeah, okay. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I'm talking about red light, not in a, in a red light, but the red light spectrum, okay. because cytochrome oxidase absorbs red light, and it absorbs sunlight for optimal oxidative metabolism, and it's actually dependent on the copper as well. Yeah. Um, so it's a catalyst for the formation of hemoglobin and, and assisting in cellular respiration and converting actually inactive thyroid hormone to active thyroid hormone. So I'm not talking about ultraviolet light. I'm talking about incandescent red light spectrum yeah. that's beneficial. Okay. Um, now, same thing, fats are very metabolic. So for me in the summer, if, you, if you're getting out enough, we're talking about the perfect human, you're getting out, you're getting in the sun, and I find most people actually need less and less fat because we're using sun to the benefit to upregulate energy production, and we don't have to rely on tons of fat. In the winter, I find more people need a little bit more fat, but they also need more carbohydrates. So mm-hmm. the rate, if I just increase the carbs, then I don't increase the fat, and the ratio is going to be up. Mm-hmm. So it makes a lot of sense. Okay. No, it, yeah, I just, it's... Just because again, you'd, you'd see some congruencies, but I kind of I understand where you're coming from and and where where TS and Jack are coming from. So it's just good to get different perspectives, you know. Because I think it's you yeah you know well, yourself you because you're reading so many things here, like you know like uh, well are these like not a green? And I think uh, to me, I think it is a green because I think Ray's kind of stuff is or what you're spouting to is like the reason why we want to probably up put this stuff is that it's 2013 now and we're not in like cold weather kind of stuff. Whereas if we were in cold weather, maybe what Jack and TS are saying would make a lot more sense. I think Jack's kind of thing is that he believes that, that our, our, we still have these kind of genes that are adapted to the environments and he just believes that our Neolithic, our Neolithic brain has has evolved far too ahead of our, Pilet- our Paleolithic genes. Like, and he, yeah. he's, he's, well, he, his basic thing is he uses a leptin reset, so like, you know, kind of a, a seasonal eating diet style, a uh, yeah. cir- circadian rhythm, and then he uses t- cold thermogenesis, so these ice cold baths, that, that really decrease like cytokines and interleukin six and all this and he uses this to, to treat metabolic syndrome in patients so it, he, he kind of bases his whole thing is you know you talk about Ray is real about he looks at biology of the human body uh, Jack would always say he looks at, and he's a, he's a neurosurgeon so he's very qual- he's an MD like and he, he says he looks at everything through an evolutionary uh, lens like he, he looks at medicine through evolutionary lenses he also says I go back and ask evolution and that's you know that, that has to have the final say in his mind like but I do get where you're coming well, from. Well, I mean, for, for me, you know, talking about blue light or ultraviolet light, it's actually immunosuppressive because it only penetrates into the first layer of the skin. And actually, it's been shown to downregulate red blood cell production. Mm-hmm. And it's actually been shown to inhibit thyroid and progesterone as well as cytochromocity. Yeah. But red light penetrates deeper into the body to the cell level. So that's why it's very um, uh, protective and it upregulates cell energy production. That's actually be immunosuppressive and target unsaturated fats stored in the tissues. Now yeah. for me, putting everything I'm saying aside and putting everything in the other side of the side, for me, it always comes down to cell and energy production. Yeah. And I tell everyone this. Yeah. The bottom line is this, and this was, of course, you know, uh, based off the work of Bert Vines, and of course there's a lot more to it, but when you wake up in the morning, before you get out of bed, before you sit up, take your body temperature and pulse. That is going to tell you, hands down, that if what you're doing, I don't care if it's from the most expensive geneticist, you know, the person, people you're talking about, Ray Pete and you, whatever. Yeah. Of course, of course it takes time. But at that point, it's going to show you the baseline 
of, there's a lot more to it, but to simplify it, are you producing energy at the cell level or not? And it's going to show you if what you're doing is working at the cell level. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if you're working with these people, you eliminate your symptoms, which anyone can do that. Any of us as health practitioners can play Houdini. It's not hard. And a lot of us, not myself, but, you know, like to, to pull the curtain over your eyes and create illusions. Yeah, yeah. The elimination of symptoms doesn't equate to health. So you might be feeling better. You wake up, take your body temperature and pulse. If you're below 98 point, I would say 98 degrees, 98 six, you're below that. Your pulse is super low. If your temperature is below 37 Celsius or I think it's 36.4, somewhere in there, um, then you're hypometabolic. So at the cell level, you're actually feeling better at the expense of damaging your metabolism and you're just eliminating symptoms. You're not healing your body at the cell level up. Mm-hmm. So for me, it really comes down to, once again, what's going on at the cell level. I have tons of people that say, I feel great, I'm vegetarian, I've cured all my diseases. Well, let's take your temperature, and they come to me, you know, in, the, in, in they've called me in the beat, and the temperature is like 96 degrees. They're basically hypothermic. So what they're saying is, I feel better, but at the sun level, I'm actually not preventing disease. Whether it's five years, 10 years, or 20 years, I'm setting myself up for most of the diseases that are going on yeah. in the world right now. Yeah. Um, because you can't have disease and health in the same picture. Exactly, yeah. So for me, the absence of a symptom doesn't equate to health. Right. Weight loss doesn't mean you're healthy. I always look at what's going on at the cell level because a lot of people that I work with, you know, it tells us if we're going down the right track. So eventually, they start to feel better, they start to lose weight, and that can actually be perpetuated throughout their life so they don't come back and say, well, I worked with this guy for two years, I felt better, but the second I went back to my real life a year later, I'm back to where I was, you know, three years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, so for me, it's it comes back to energy at the cell level, always. That's, like, that's, <laughs> we're already half an hour in and we've just gone through, like, three questions, but it's good stuff. Um, I, like, I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but like, there's, there's going to be a lot of people who, ha- who haven't heard, like, a lot of this stuff before. Um, but PUFAs, polyunsaturated fats, like, and, and definitely fish oils. It's something I'm, again, you know, there's just so much conflicting stuff out there. Like, you know, Ray kind of really opened my eyes where he's a completely just doesn't like fish oils and, and, and you'd be at the same school of thought. But can you just talk about polyunsaturated fats? Obviously, vegetable oils are terrible and all this. But then also talk about fish oils and this whole sort of mad industry about fish oils at the moment. Well, this is the thing. What people don't realize is that it's not that unsaturated fats are bad. And that's a little bit contradictory because everyone thinks that weed rays work and unsaturated fats are deadly, right? Well, that, that, that's definitely but, the impression I got. <laughs> uh, I said that, that was definitely the impression I got from Ray that they're deadly. Right. The issue is, if you really study, like, interdevelopment or embryology, our body, in a metabolic state, right? It actually uses sugars and saturated fats to produce our own omega-9 unsaturated fats, mm-hmm. which are anti-inflammatory. So if they were deadly, we produce them. We produce them for a reason. Everything yeah. we produce is for a reason. Yeah. Now, this is the issue. The issue is, and this is with anything that the way it's work. I've talked to him about this before. It's the excess amount of them that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Because if we take tons of omega-6 and 3, we block our own desaturase enzymes that help us produce our omega-9 fatty acids, that create our deficiency in our omega-9, which are protective, and create excess in 6 and 3. So it's excess in unsaturated fats the saturated fat is inflammatory, and that's the thing. Yeah. So for us, it's about, just like with estrogen, everyone talks about estrogen as doom and gloom. It's really not, yeah, it's because women want to get pregnant if they didn't have it in their body. Yeah. Women want to be women if they didn't have it in their body. Men want to be men. It's not a female hormone. It's the ratio of estrogen to progesterone. It's the balance. It's the balance of everything in the body. That's key. Protective to excitatory, or we could say inhibitory to excitatory hormones, you're trying to find balance. So in our philosophy, we're trying to 
mountain, cutting back or eliminating nuts and seeds, nuts and seed oils, vegetable oils, above-ground vegetables, fatty fishes, um, because you, you know, with above-ground vegetables, everyone says, you know, uh, I, uh, they're not high enough saturated fats. They're higher than the low-ground vegetables, so that's why we cut them out. Yeah, yeah. So it's the excess intake of them that's a problem. From a simplistic standpoint, they create a lot of GI inflammation. Um, they alter digestion because they inhibit proteolytic enzymes in the gut. So we have trouble breaking them down. That's why you see a lot of this food in your stool as above ground vegetables. Yeah, yeah. Um, they inhibit mitochondrial respiration. Um, they inhibit glucose oxidation and facilitate lipid oxidation, which means they inhibit glucose from getting in the cell, which means we can't produce energy, which means we become T3 deficient. Which means we have excess sugar in the system that's been shown that tourniquets have came estrogen, estrogen in the body and they cause hyperstimulation of the beta cells of pancreas, mm-hmm. which can damage the beta cells of pancreas, lead to type 1 diabetes, or even lead to type 2 insulin resistance. It inhibits thyroid conversion, increases estrogen in the body, which can cause edema, PCOS, uh, hypothyroidism. Um, you know, so. It, they have all the same actions of estrogen in the body, as well as free fatty acids. It was shown by P.J. Randall, I think it was in the 60s, that it's free fatty acids that are leading to diabetes. It's not the excess sugar, because free fatty acids do everything that unsaturated fats do. They basically inhibit glucose oxidation and facilitate lipid oxidation. To mm-hmm. so alter cellular use of glucose at the cell level, we produce lactic acid, it's inhibitory to the thyroid, we cause hyperstimulation of the beta cells and pancreas, but we can't utilize the sugars that we're taking in or that are in our blood. So they're very uh, excitatory and inhibitory to cellular energy production as well as other systems in the body like hormones, like thyroid hormone conversion, etc. So for us, it's about not taking them in because if you think about it, saturated fats are, and this is why we recommend tropical fruits, uh, they're protective. They're higher, tropical fruits are a higher amount of saturated to unsaturated fat because they're grown in hot climates. They need protection against heat, so they don't oxidize coconut, coconut oil. Yeah. So at hot temperatures, they're liquid, cold temperatures are a little bit more solid. Mm-hmm. It prevents oxidation. Unsaturated fats, like fatty fish, they're in cold water. Above brown vegetables, they need to germinate in the spring, nuts and seeds, etc. They need to stay a little bit fluid and liquid, so at cold temperatures are liquid, hot temperatures they oxidize. Yeah. So in humans, they oxidize. They cause free radical production. That's why I said light's primary target in the skin is actually unsaturated fat. Mm-hmm. I've done a blog on YouTube on this, and they actually co-join with estrogen and iron to create what's called lipofus in our liver spot. Mm-hmm. And that's what you see on people's skin, but it's actually the free, excess free radical production from ultraviolet light kind of attacking proof is in your tissues. And the problem with proof is being stored in your tissues is, according to research, it takes four years to actually detoxify that from the body. But proof is in your tissues is two things. It lowers vitamin E and creates vitamin E deficiencies. Vitamin E is a huge benefit to the body because it actually brings oxygen and nutrients to your cells and your tissues. It basically does the opposite of um, uh, estrogen. But also, think about it, if it's still in your tissues along with tryptophan, and you don't eat the right foods and the right frequencies to regulate blood sugar, and you become hypoadrenaline or cortisol, you actually start breaking down what? Your tissues, what do you release? You release unsaturated fat and the conversion of tryptophan to serotonin into your blood, which perpetuates the stress cycle. Mm-hmm. Hypocortisol, hypoadrenaline, etc. It's a huge stress. So you're never getting out of that because you're storing it in your tissues. So I go is to down-regulate how much you're taking in. Use the right foods and the right frequencies to down-regulate this catabolic effect that's going on so we can down-regulate that internal stress cycle that's going on while we're aiding in the body detoxifying from these unsaturated fats. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you, what's your take then on this essential, essential fatty acid you know, idea? Like is, just from what I read too, is, is Ray of the opinion that he doesn't believe that, that, that they are essential fatty acids? Like, or what's your take on that? 
Like, you know the way people all say, oh, these are essential fatty acids the body needs, and that's why, therefore, you have to take these fish oils. And I always get the feeling that Ray's kind of like, well, are they essential? Like, is, is this a proven fact? Because like, like, I think, it, does he not always say that, you know, Burr and Burr fed those rats and their metabolism went down, so how could they be essential or whatever? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, according to Ray, according to him, he says essential fatty acids are, according to textbooks, linoleic and linoleic acids. And they're supposed to have the status of vitamins, which must be taken into the diet to make life possible. Hmm. However, if we're able to synthesize our own unsaturated fats, as I mentioned, we don't need to eat essential fatty acids. Okay. So they're not as essential as we think. So this term appears to be a misnomer. And this yeah. is taken from, I was quoted from Hagee, um, from the encyclopedia. Um, because there's, there's, uh, there's, there's tests they run now to see if you have essential fatty acid deficiencies. Like. Say it again. The, the, like, uh, there's practitioners that run tests to see if you're essential fatty acid deficient. So, you know, I just wanted to get your take. Well, I'll be honest with you. When I used to do a lot of labs, I never tested anyone that was essential fatty acid deficient. Yeah. Everyone, when I did the lab, and not that I did thousands of them, but everyone that I tested EFAs, because there was a time in my career, of course, that, you know, I, I you know, thought they were essential. We all did. Uh, but the more I asked why, the more I learned about mm-hmm. I didn't find most people were deficient. I found most people were excess because they're just downing carnivore on fish oil. Yeah, yeah. Now, if they are deficient, we have to think about that. Because as I mentioned, we have the ability to produce omega-9 saturated, unsaturated fats, which are protective. And we actually produce them from unsaturated fats converted from glucose. That's just for storing glycogen. So our foods will be either super essential for this. So if we're not eating the right frequencies of foods, we're not eating the right types of carbohydrates, how are we going to make our own own omega-9 unsaturated fats? So essentially, indirectly, because the foods we're not eating, and in the frequency, we're not storing glycogen, we can't produce our own. So indirectly, we're deficient, but we're really not deficient. We're deficient because we're not eating foods in the right frequencies to store glycogen to aid in that conversion. Okay, yeah. At the same time, unsaturated fats from excess omega-6 and 3 fatty acids, as I mentioned, inhibit your enzyme system desaturation in long aces that form the protective omega-9. So, if you take in too many of them, of course, it's pushing pain, too many is relative, but you could be taking them just enough to inhibit your own omega-9 fatty acids, which gives you that deficiency, but you're really not deficient. It's what you're taking in that's creating the deficiency. So indirectly, it's like I always say, why take antioxidants? Why don't you just reduce the amount of porosity of things in your life as well as your kidneys? Same thing here. Maybe you're really not deficient. So indirectly, if you get rid of the things that are creating the deficiency, indirectly correct the deficiency. Hmm. But why take things to reduce inflammation and just reduce the things that are causing inflammation in your life? Yeah, so why take things to, to affect the deficiency, reduce the things that are causing the deficiency? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remove, remove the negative. Right. Yeah. Um, saturated fats, Josh, I know, I know you're, you're a big proponent and a huge proponent of coconut oil. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's it's becoming a little more, I wouldn't say mainstream, but like people aren't quite as freaked out about saturated fat, you know, with the likes of Facebook and all these media things and you get more doctors nowadays saying, oh, well, it's not saturated fat that causes heresy anymore. So it's not as a, as a who like a, you know, a real sort of shocked topic anymore. Some people are kind of like, oh, I heard actually saturated fats aren't that bad, but you, you're, you're a big proponent of saturated fats can you ju- and coconut oil. Can you just, you know, explain why? Is it to do with the MCTs in, in the coconut oil? Well, I mean, there's many benefits. I mean, the first is saturated fats help the body detoxify from unsaturated fats. Very good. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's huge for us. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why we use, you know, um, saturated fats. Now, I find most people overindulge in coconut oil, and they don't realize that, you know, if you log your foods, you'll see at the end of the day you're taking in way too much because if you're eating, you know, certain things in your diet, like let's say you have eggs and fat and eggs, you don't need a 
it all, we like it because it's, you know, it's kind of like if you put it on your skin, you can eat it. So we use it for a lot of things. We use it, you know, for sunscreen. We use it for people with eczema, um, uh, lubrication. I mean, it can be used for almost anything. Um, this is actually way off the cuff, but it's interesting. I, I think it's quite interesting. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But all right, go ahead. seems to think that leptin is is the key hormone to to master to to make sure that the body's biochemistry falls in line even even with regards to the thyroid like um i don't understand your question uh so uh, have you leptin what's your thoughts on the hormone leptin Uh, like a lot of people think that uh, like i know that you and ray would speak a lot about uh, Thyroid is, is kind of one of the main things you need to get right, but a lot of people say that if you get left. Yeah, I, I'll say, well, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I, it was just, sorry, it was your accent. I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> um, sorry, yeah. I didn't hear what you were saying. You know, to be honest with you, I haven't done a ton of research on it. Um, I've talked to Ray about it, about weapon. Um, I don't really, I, I haven't come to a conclusion yet. Mm-hmm. To really answer that question is, what, is really what I'm saying. Okay, no, 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 um, no, no, no. According to according to Ray, 
you know, he said he some research. He said that they worked in mark. Basically, certain people worked in the marketing department of a pharmaceutical company, and they hoped to create a wonder drug to make their fortune. And they kind of stumbled upon that. Yeah, um, that, that 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 that's originally what happened because I think what what they discovered was that well, like lefin basically is made in your your adipose tissue and it basically regulates like the hunger signals to your brain so when pharmaceutical companies heard this they're like oh that means obese people must be leptin deficient but really they're actually leptin resistant now you can if you're leptin deficient you can be leptin deficient too but generally there are people like who've got anorexia problems but if you're leptin resistant yeah. you're generally obese so they thought it was just a deficiency issue so they were like oh if we can come up with a drug that you know upregulates leptin will cure obesity but sure that wasn't the case because again it's not that they were deficient obese people it was that it, they were leptin resistant but uh so yeah ray, ray ray probably is right about that yeah like i said i have some research on it i haven't really come to a conclusion there's a there's a really good book a really good book i think if you wanted to read um by byron richards called called mastering leptin so that that's a good quick that'd be a good quick read like it's it's very good um what are you what are your thoughts on on not not fasting now but intermittent fasting so intermittent fasting isn't isn't starvation it's it's the idea that you're still eating the same amount of calories you're just eating them in like a you know, a smaller window, and then you're fasting for a larger window. So you'd still get your whatever. And now I'm not a calorie. I'm not a calorie counter, but you're just basically partitioning all your calories into a smaller window, and then fasting for a longer window. Yeah, I believe fasting. It, it, when I say fasting, too, I, I, I'm talking about uh, not eating enough during the day. Maybe eating 1,500 calories or 5,000 calories, yeah, or yeah. Um, eating waiting too long in between meals. I believe that. And it's all relative, because what, what are we really talking about? We talk about two hours, four hours, six hours. Once again, to me, I believe it's immunosuppressive. Um, and all we have to do is look at people's body temperature and pulse and what's going on at the cell level, their thyroid levels, their cholesterol levels, because what you'll see is you might lose weight, you might eliminate your symptoms, you might take burden off the gut, but you're damaging the director of all this over time. Okay. So... I believe it's immunosuppressive because most people, and you see this, uh, have taught their body over the years because they don't eat enough or they don't eat the right foods, the right frequencies to not store glycogen. Mm-hmm. Or they're eating a high, high, high and unsaturated fats or low and saturated fats, which assist the body, not saturated fats, to store glycogen. Or they become B6 deficient, estrogen and prolactin waste B6, which assist the body in storing glycogen. So if you don't store enough glycogen, what happens? You wait too long in between meals, what happens? You actually are going to die if the body doesn't step in. The body says, hey, what do I need to do? I'm going to bring in adrenaline first to mobilize stored glycogen. The problem is most people don't have enough. So that's short-lived. The body goes, shit, I need to, oh, excuse me, it goes, you can swear away on this podcast. Yeah, I need to bring in, you know, something more powerful so your body releases excess cortisol. And you see this with people. Hypocortisolemia. So, what happens is the body through gluconeogenesis starts to break down tissues in a sense to produce glycogen and basically convert fats and proteins into glycogen. This is catabolic because you're breaking down tissues in your body, all tissues, to meet the needs of your body because you're not eating it. Mm-hmm. So what happens with this is a couple of things. This is why most people, as an adaptation to over-exercising, as well as an ad- adaptation to being in a hypocortisol state, have a low pulse. Because cortisol downregulates T4 to T3 conversion. T3 runs the engine. You don't run the engine, your pulse goes down. So a low pulse is not an indicator of good health. Mm-hmm. A low pulse, according to us, is an indication of being hypercortisolemic. Yeah. Over time, this is how people end up in the, which I believe is a, a, is a complete made-up thing, um, because if we understand this exactly what I'm talking about, and what can happen over time if we empty our buckets of vitamin A and cholesterol and pregnenolone, how people talk about stage one, two, three adrenal fatigue. Yeah. It's just severe. It's just severe. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm still there. Okay. So I'm just going to, um, my headset's telling me low battery, so I'm just going to change. Very good. Can you hear me? Oh, I can still hear you, yeah. Okay, cool. The 
three, adrenal fatigue is, is an adaptation to your severe blood sugar dysregulation and being hypothyroid over time. So initially, you're hypocortisolemic, which is stage one adrenal fatigue. You have high cortisol levels or DHEA cortisol level, et cetera, et cetera. You're not regulating blood sugar. Cortisol is a um, glucocorticoid. It's designed to regulate blood sugar, blood pressure, things like that. So typically when cortisol is high, blood pressure is low, body temp, not body the pulse is low. So for me, you're basically putting your body into this, this stress state, and I don't see the need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and over time, of course, you can only produce so much cortisol, because if you're not getting things like enough cholesterol or you're not converting it, you're vitamin A deficient, T3 deficient, over time, that cortisol is going to kind of pitter out, and that's how you end up in your stage three. Now, adrenaline kicks in over time, this is why those people more chronically end up with a high blood pressure and super high pulse that they can't regulate. Yeah. So it's a cycle. So for me, I'm not into intermittent fasting. Okay. I'm not into any of that stuff. I don't care what the research is. Mm-hmm. I just know based off what I do, based off body temperature and pulse, that sometimes when people wait too long in between a meal and you see it, their body temperature and pulse will actually drop. And to me, that is an indica- indicator of of a stress. And I'm trying to reduce stress and inflammation in people's lives. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, everyone has a different approach, and obviously your approach is working because you're getting results with clients. I've I've just heard certain things like there's something to do with like fat, like fasting and like anti-aging, and there's actually a lot of good research behind that. And the other thing was that snack snacking apparently can can disrupt liver metabolism. So that's why, like, I know in Byron Richardson's book with with the master in leptin, he talks about you know trying to cut out snacking and cut down to two to three main meals a day like well he, he's more three meals a day jack Cruz would be more too but their whole thing is that s- chronic snacking actually is not good for the, the liver with regards to its metabolism for whatever reason i haven't fully gra- grasped but that's what they say so the kind of anti-aging thing on the yeah liver, i mean it's, it's hard because i'm not here to say that my philosophy is the only philosophy. oh yeah like I'm i mean not, i it's, mean it's, it's of course you're talking to me so i'm, I'm you know, saying what I do, and I'm not here to bash what they do because yeah, they get exactly. results. That's great. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, it, it's always good to have a, uh, a healthy kind of debate. Oh, thing, yeah, like exactly. For, I mean, that's for that, me. That's exactly. For me, if you don't eat enough and you're not storing glycogen, you're hyperadrenaline. That's a huge metabolic burden on the liver. Okay. Yeah. You know, and if you're eating a lot of unsaturated fat, that's a huge metabolic burden on definitely, the liver. Yeah, so for me, it's like if these people are eating unsaturated fat and snacking. To me, what they're saying, I agree with because yeah, yeah, you're seeing the results of what's going on in the body because of those fats. That's now, it's, it's context too, like yeah, you know, exactly. Well, there's, there's a lot of variables. I mean, if if you're not detoxifying estrogen because you're not eating enough protein, yeah. non-inflammatory protein, exactly. Yeah. That's a huge metabolic burden on the liver. Increased lactic acid production. I mean, if you just go down the cell level again, you look at body temperature and pulse. Yeah, that's a huge metabolic burden on the liver. So if you don't snack. And you're not producing any energy because you're not storing glycogen. You produce excess lactic acid because your body temperature is 96, 97, or it's low. Yeah, the yeah. pulse is low. Yeah. That's a huge metabolic burden on the liver because the liver tries to convert that lactic acid using stored glycogen. Most people don't have enough stored glycogen. Mm-hmm. So if anything, not eating enough and not snacking will be an increased metabolic burden. Now, for me, the goal is to use foods to reteach the body how to regulate blood sugar, down-regulate cortisol and adrenaline, up-regulate the thyroid, teach the body using foods and frequency how to store glycogen. So over time, let's say initially they're eating six or eight meal snacks, in the end, they don't need that many because now the body's doing, designed to doing what it should do. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that sounds very, um, you know, perfectly. <laughs> Uh, just finishing up, Josh. You you you, you talk, spoke saying that you're doing the osteopathy and you're getting kind of big into the manual therapy. Can you just speak about your osteopathy course and and you know what what are you taking away from it? Um, well, I go to Canada. You can't study true osteopathy in the U.S. Um, unfortunately, it's just basically you would become a doctor. So that's why I go to Canada. Yeah. And it's a, it's a study of all the systems in the body: bones, muscle, ligaments, fascia, nerves, viscera, etc. And we learn through assessment, through understanding the functions of all these systems and how they relate. We learn through assessing um, and listening to the body, basically 
defining different what we call lesions and or barriers to health, classifying them, and then according to a hierarchical methodology, treating you know what needs to be treated first based on you know severity or complexity down to simplicity. You know, so it's like someone can have a hormone issue or someone can have a foot problem. It doesn't matter. We don't go like the foot. We assess everything in the body. You know, based on our assessment, listening, palpation, and, and vitality, etc. Finding the lesions and treating the lesions appropriately. I might not even get to the foot. I might not find any lesions in the foot. You know, so it's really just treating the body as a system of systems. Looking at the body, listening to the body. The body's going to tell you what to do, what techniques you need to do based on what you find, the level that the lesions on, whether it's bone, muscle, fascia, organ, etc. And removing the barriers so the body can do what it's designed to do, which is express health. Mm-hmm. So they say that anyone can find disease. The object of the osteopath is to actually find health, to allow people's bodies to express health. So it's almost like when I work with people, I don't consider myself a mechanic and just do techniques. What I'm doing is I'm actually a student at that point because the body is showing me through my assessment what needs to be done. I do the appropriate techniques at the right level, which removes the barriers. So now in between the treatments, the body can actually realign itself and express health. So for me, I find it very powerful, um, you know, not because of the theory of it. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a philosophy. It's a way of life. It's a way of thinking. It's changed my life on many levels. It's not just techniques. Mm-hmm. So through using it with people and really using that kind of thought process, I've been able to, or, you know, people have really benefited from it, you know. Um, I've had clients with chronic back pain that, you know, I have a test and I find issues in your sacrum or ligaments or whatever. And they've worked with physical therapists or whoever for so long. And, you know, these people that have back pain, uh, some of them I haven't even touched their back. They don't even have any issues in their back. Mm-hmm. You know, I had one client who was, you know, I take an intake and, you know, she was in a huge motor vehicle accident like 10 years ago, huge whiplash. Um, she had tons of cervical issues, tons of low back pain, knee problems, etc. And I'm not even kidding. Kidding. Um, so I assessed her and started to work on her. And, and basically, when the whiplash, of course, there's a lot going on. So based on my assessment, I found a lot of her lesions were descending, meaning they were higher up from the back, like upper thoracic cervical cranium, yeah. Yeah. causing the back issues. Mm-hmm. So I actually started to work on her cranium the different bones in her cranium based on my assessment as well as her dura and within two treatments her back pain was gone. I didn't even touch her back. Yeah, it's incredible. So, so for me, and it's not always like that, of course, it takes time. I mean, I have clients that have been working with for, you know, six months that are making great progress, but for me, it's about understanding the body. It's a system of systems, you know, finding the lesions and treating them appropriately and not just saying you have a foot problem and look at your foot. You know, because the body is so connected in so many levels and just because you have foot pain doesn't mean there's a foot problem yeah exactly yeah. and and how how do you integrate all of these different systems i mean you know is it is it someone comes to you for nutritional health wellness or and then it's someone comes in just for osteopathy rehab therapy type work or do you always combine the whole lot together like is it is it is it always one package or or do you do it separately with the, the nutrition, we do on a package, so it's an eight-hour package, and we work with people for usually eight to 12 months to go through those consults. Mm-hmm. Um, our manual therapy is, is, you know, some people want to buy a bunch of profit, typically consults to consult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so just last, last one or two, Josh, and then I'll let you go. If just a typical client coming to you, what what is your what like what is your system is it is there a screening an intake form um you know so with regards to just someone who's coming in with just health issues you know low energy like do you always have them fill out uh, you know a questionnaire is it an interview process uh, like where do you go from there do you get them to fill out a diet sheet for a week or we have a large health history intake I think it's like fifty pages as well as a food mm-hmm. log that we created um that looks at ratios and grams and foods and things like that uh, that we have people fill out for a week. So, um, yeah, 
going on in their life, the past, the present, to help us create somewhat of a, you know, you know, a path to where they want to go. But at the same time, you know, people come to us with tons of other labs, and I feel like a lot of people that these people work with overlook what's causing a lot of people's issues because they're so gung-ho on labs, they're so gung-ho on supplements instead of really looking at the person. Uh, Josh, that's all my questions. Just the last two things is: is there any uh, you know recommended resources, books, DVDs, podcasts, you know anything you'd recommend to any of the listeners to get more more information on on any of this stuff? You know, that's a tough one because for me, you know, I, I used to be into reading, you know, like the PCOS diet or you know, cancer is a fungus or you know, uh, all these books on hypothyroidism and et cetera, et cetera. I honestly, of course, I'm really big into reading Ray's work and research, so I'm big into that. Yeah. So I, I really study, and when it comes to my osteopathy, all I study is anatomy and physiology. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all I study. Uh, I don't study technique books and stuff like that. I'm constantly just studying anatomy and physiology, either et cetera. Same thing on the nutritional level. That's hard because I'm really into studying that type of stuff to understand function. Um, you know, so for me, study the work of AP, go to Barnes. Um, I'm two big advocates of them. Of course, we have our cookbook, which has some theory in it, as well as our metabolic blueprint program, which is uh, very educational. But for me, that's, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Can you, can you just give us a little more info on the on the metabolic blueprint? Like, you, you've got three different sort of offers there. Yeah, the, we, we have the metabolic blueprint cookbook on our website. So if you go to our website, eastwesthealing.com, you'll see a little tab at the top that says um, the metabolic blueprint. And under that, there's a little like, accordion. You have the cookbook. It's like, like 100 pages. Or, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how many pages it is. $37. It's an ebook. It's got like 40 pages of theory and then like 90 recipes. Our Metabolic Blueprint online program, you can click on that. It's an online educational program. You can see everything you get. There's basically eight lessons. Every lesson has a PDF, which is usually 30, 40, 50 pages. You know, one to two hour audio that we recorded on that lesson. Um, And then it's got seven bonus lessons, which are all PDFs ranging from, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 pages, as well as included, our cookbooks included in that. We have a GI pumping video food list, our food log, a food ramp chart, it's a form, it's bi-weekly calls, etc., etc. So it's an online educational program. You go your own pace, lifetime, you have bi-weekly calls to go over lessons, support you, answer your questions. Um, so, you know, um, check, out the, check out the page. There's a lot of information on this to kind of explain it, but it's, it's a way for us to share our philosophy um, um, and um, provide you with tons of information. I mean, in, in, in the end, in the end, the PDFs. I think you're going to be reading over 400 pages of PDFs. Yeah, I mean, guys, uh, I can only highly recommend Josh's uh, uh, website and and Jeannie's website, um, and definitely his YouTube channel. Like your your YouTube videos are, are brilliant. Even though so- sometimes I I have to watch them in you know one or two goes because I you know they're they're long and they're in depth. Um, but definitely yeah, check out Josh's website and um, Josh, that's that's everything covered today. I really really appreciate you coming back on because as I said, the audio. For the first interview uh, wasn't brilliant for the first 20 minutes and people were sending me some hate mail because you got a lot of fans out there so i really appreciate you taking the hour again so uh, guys i just want to say thanks for listening i hope you enjoyed this podcast really again want to thank josh and um, super guy great information take care guys and i'll talk to you soon